This is a reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, it's uh, great to be here this morning. As uh, Peter said at the outset, we're in hybrid mode. Uh, you may have wondered what he was ranting on about because he didn't exist. We're allowed 50 people plus one and he's the leader. So that means he's incredibly important. Uh, and uh, it's great to have about 30 people here today, plus the children in the hall, as well as all of you who are participating uh, online. It is uh, fantastic that we have that technology and capacity available. If we learned anything from last year, it was to be flexible. Uh, and that's been one of the good things about our current situation. We can continue to meet together uh, in spite of the complexity of all that's going on for us in our lives. Now, this morning we're thinking about goodness, and you would think that it'd be fairly easy to talk about goodness, but in fact, I think it's kind of complicated uh, to think about goodness in our context today. On the one hand, there seems to be so much goodness all around about us. Tomorrow uh, at the MCG, they're still having the freezer at the G. Uh, even though the game itself is happening in Sydney. Uh, and there's, it's just lovely seeing everybody wearing their beanies. I should have worn my one this morning uh, because that's a sign of goodness, isn't it? People participating a genuinely important cause, doing something useful and good about all that. But it is kind of perplexing that in an era when uh, often people are very critical of faith-based groups and faith-based people like us, uh, that goodness seems to be abounding in our wider culture and community. Uh, in the last decade or so, virtually every corporate group uh, in Australia has embraced some sort of corporate act of good deeds or connections. 
uh, and that's become a standard part of what goes on in our community. Uh, a number of years ago, I was privileged to be in a place called Nullumboy, which is a very remote location on the Gulf, uh, and connecting in with an Indigenous community there, and there was a lady driving me around, uh, or just driving me from one place to the next, and I said, what are you doing here? And she was with one of the big four banks as part of a partnership they had with an Indigenous community uh, doing good in that context. So goodness isn't something that just believers do, and we're going to be exhorted to do today. It's something that lots of people do in all sorts of ways, and it does seem to be a very big feature of our particular context and era. On the other hand, sadly, these days, the church is often associated not with doing good, but with seeming to do terrible things. Uh, and sadly, because of the impact of the abuse in churches uh, that we all know about, there's a perception that if you go to a church, it's not a safe place. And in the last fortnight or so, there's been a report which indicates that the issue of family violence, which I touched on briefly last Sunday, is also a big issue in churches. So we ought to be places where good deeds happen, but some people would think this is a place that, which is actually a dangerous place to come to because it's not a safe place, and that's profoundly sad. But that's kind of full of sad ironies too because, I mean, I myself was involved in significant and very large youth ministry back in the 1980s and 90s. It wasn't perfect, and, and obviously I couldn't ever stand here and say that things untoward didn't ever happen, but nothing formal has ever happened in the context of each of those places. And we did great stuff, but that's all been kind of slightly tarnished, sadly, because of the era we're in. These days, churches are often involved in good doing good deeds, and in fact, one of my perception, concept, convictions rather, is that increasingly churches need to have uh, active frameworks for doing good in the local community because we need to re-establish our connection into communities as well as the goodwill that we need to build into communities. Uh, which is one of the reasons why we created St Hilary's Hope in my time at that other place that I'm not meant to mention. At the same time, uh, as Peter does here, he sometimes talks about the fact that if you do good, uh, it won't always lead to the outcomes you expect because people may actually be hostile towards you for doing good, and we'll touch on that shortly when we get to it. Now, theologically, we need to be aware that our good deeds don't lead to God being impressed with us. We don't do them to earn his favour. Uh, the only way to get right with God is to trust the one really big good deed that he did on our behalf, which we've already acknowledged in our gathering together by confessing our sins together and being reminded it's only through Christ's death on our behalf that we can have our sins forgiven. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit." Now, if I'm honest, uh, it strikes me that there is a stream of theology which is so anxious to enshrine this particular teaching uh, that it never, ever talks about the fact that we should do good deeds because there might be some even vague hint that somehow, you know, we're not going to be honouring the death of Christ on our behalf. I think, personally, that's imbalanced and unhealthy, uh, but it is an imbalance that's evident in some parts of the church today. And to finish this off, our response to God's great good deeds on our behalf is to strive to do good ourselves and to do good deeds as part of living out our faith. That's what we're reflecting on today. If, in fact, God has done a great thing for us in and through Jesus Christ, our response to him is to want to live good lives uh, in, as, and to model ourselves on him as we go about living our lives today. Now, as an aside, there's a very unusual section in this 
particular passage about Christ descending into hell and preaching to these souls in hell. Uh, sadly, from your point of view, I will not be dwelling on that today. It is too ridiculously complicated to even go into. Uh, I mean, if I had the time, I could go into it, but uh, there are plenty of books that will deal with that, and the notes which were written by someone uh, in the back of the study guide do deal with it, but I don't think personally it's that important to get sidetracked on so I will be ignoring it today, uh, which may be a great disappointment to some of you, but you can speak to me about that later. Uh, in the uh, magisterial book called Dominion by a person called Tom Holland, I'll show it towards the camera, not that I'm sure you can see it, this particular book, Tom Holland, who doesn't claim to be a believer, he covers basically the last 2,000 years of Western history. And in it, basically, what he discovers is that all of the things that we consider to be great in Western culture uh, can be traced back to the Christian story. Uh, and even though he's no longer, he's not necessarily an overt believer himself, I think he's empathetic to the faith, uh, that's his conclusion. It's a really big read. I'd recommend it to you if you, you know, really want to be like someone that, you know, can drop a big book into a dinner party conversation. This is the one to drop in these days. Uh, Dominion by Tom Holland. Uh, it gets referenced all the time, and it's a good book. But what he's talking about, the fact here, is that the things that we, rep, we, we think are great in Western culture our freedom, our fact, the fact that we can seek after truth, uh, the fact that we have a commitment to compassion and inclusion and a whole lot of other things uh, have their derivation in the Christian story. They just didn't kind of turn up out of nowhere. They are fundamentally shaped, uh, and that's even though people actually don't believe in that story these days, that's what he uh, unpacks for us. And, of course, the ch challenge for Western culture is if you've unhitched the values from the story... Uh, then how do you sustain the values? Uh, and that's one of the big challenges for, any, for us as we live out our lives today. Well, turning to Peter's letter today, we see that the today's section can, continues to exhort us on how that we should live. And he's previously offered teaching related to how we re respond to earthly rulers, as well as about the workplace. And last week I attempted to talk about that in the context of marriage. And today we're thinking about it in a more general sense. But today he wants us to think about what it means to be a blessed person or to live a good life. Now, I would suspect that all of us want to live a good life, don't we? I mean, that's the great Australian aspiration, isn't it, to live good lives? Uh, that's what people, in a sense, hold out there as being a really big value that we're all seeking after. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, he's, we, he says we inherit a blessing from God. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, he, says we, he says we can have good days. In chapter 3, verse 13, he says that we can be blessed. And in chapter 3, verse 17, he says he speaks of suffering for doing good. So what is this good life that God's inviting us into and what does it mean to live a blessed life uh, as the outworking of responding to God's love in Christ? Well, firstly, learning to do good in chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. Now, most of us here know how to drive a car, and, but we also know that when you get into different cars, uh, it can be quite challenging because it's always not self-evident. Uh, early this year, I happened to be at Manly uh, for a conference I was involved in. I uh, arranged to borrow a car so I could go for an early morning swim, and I got to get in the car, and I couldn't work out where the, um, the, the, um, to get the brake turned off, what's it called, the handbrake, wasn't a handbrake. Uh, anyway, I was like sitting there in the dark, semi-dark at like about six o'clock in the morning going, 
hmm, okay, I'm stuck in the car and I can't work out where the handbrake. It was a huge people mover and it turned out it had a little pedal thing that you had to kind of like, you know, right up in the corner. It wasn't in any way self-evident and if anyone else had been around, I would have looked like a complete idiot uh, because it was, when I worked it out, bleedingly obvious where it was, but it wasn't obvious at the time. Well, in order to live differently in a range of settings, Peter suggested at the outset that we should try out our new behaviour within the community of the people of God. And here it will be tested and hopefully we will mature and grow because the rough edges might get knocked off us and we might become more fully honed to be the people that God wants us to be. Uh, In verses 8 and 9, he puts it this way. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may indeed inherit a blessing. So Peter lists five characteristics of a life that's good and blessed that we ought to be living out in the midst of our interactions as God's people together. And there is a very strong hint there here of the Beatitudes, uh, because there's very strong links with the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel that Peter would have heard from Jesus directly. So firstly, live in harmony with one another. This like-mindedness is not a call to a uniformity of thinking that we, which would be becoming like a sect. It's about refer, being, having a harmony of attitude as well as of understanding. We need to be united in what we believe about the essentials while leaving room to reflect, to pray and to talk about the non-essentials. That's part of what it is to have there be united in our thinking to live in harmony with one another. Now, it's very easy to say that. It's a lot harder to put that into practice. Uh, And there are significant fault lines within the Australian church in relation to issues of gender, sexuality, music in church, ministry, mission, buildings. In fact, just about everything uh, that you can think of in relation to church life. And people often divide not on the essentials, but sadly, on the non-essentials. At St. Columns, you've got a lovely community, but I'm sure it isn't perfect, and this business of living in harmony with one another is always going to have challenging dimensions. Let's face it, sometimes those tensions will be about theology or practice. Often, more often than not, they'll be about personality clashes or power plays, uh, and I'm not referring to anything in particular at St. Columns, but that is what often happens uh, in church life. Uh, For myself, I've always been put uh, with people who have high-detail interests uh, on various committees and boards that I sit and chair on. Uh, I'm not a high-detail person, so they always irritate me, uh, but I always say irritate them. Uh, And we have to find a way of making it work because we're different sorts of people and we need each other. I'm currently reading a biography on Archbishop Harry Goodhue, who was the Archbishop of Sydney, two back, Uh, And it's a bit of a depressing read, really, because it's all about the power plays that were going on in his time as the Archbishop. Not about, really, the big issues, but about who was going to call the shots. Uh, And I think that's sadly what often happens. So we need to be like-minded. But as well as that, we need to be sympathetic. And again, this seems incredibly straightforward, doesn't it? Easy. But in Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is the faithful high priest who sympathise with us in our weaknesses. And last week we reflected on husbands being exhorted to be considerate to their wives. And we know that that doesn't always happen. Sympathy means to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who mourn. And in the body of Christ, when one suffers, all suffer. And when one rejoices, all rejoice. Sympathy is the outworking of one big idea, 
which is putting the other person's needs before your own and not being self-consumed and self-preoccupied. Now, we do live in an era when we're all encouraged to be self-consumed and self-preoccupied. So if we're going to be sympathetic, we've got to get beyond that to actually being genuinely compassionate and concerned for others. To sympathy, Peter adds, love one another. As we've been loved by God, we share that love with each other. And if Jesus honours each of us by inviting us to be his brothers and sisters, then we have to honour others by treating and accepting them as brothers and sisters as well. And this means loving the ones that we like and connect with, as well as the people who we don't necessarily connect with uh, and we have to work harder at relating to. Most churches have cliques of people who have been together for decades and who get on incredibly well and are really great friends and others who struggle to be a part of the community. And that's true of every church. Uh, And in order to love one another, we have to work hard at including all people. Be compassionate. As Christ was gracious and compassionate to each each one of us, we are exhorted to, to do likewise. And in his letter, he's returned again and again to the actions of Christ on our behalf, of Christ's sacrificial love and Christ's sacrificial action in order for us to be reconciled to God. And we ourselves need to model Christ's behaviour. Finally, be humble. Humility is hard to attain, and one way of embracing it is to reflect on this principle, which is the principle of self-forgetfulness in the presence of others. Self-forgetfulness in the presence of others. Not thinking about yourself again, but being thinking about the other person when you're connecting with and relating to them. And again, easy to do, easy to say rather, not necessarily easy to put into practice. So there's five things that we're exhorted to do in terms of what it means to live differently uh, and where to practice those amongst each other and to help each other to grow in those things together in order to live out those good deeds and that good lives amongst others when we move outside the context of God's people. But secondly, learning to repay evil with good in chapter 3, verse 9. Peter moves on to suggest how we respond to unprovoked attacks and curses. So do not repay evil with evil or insult with evil. Insult, On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may indeed inherit a blessing. Now this is incredibly contrary, isn't it? Uh, Peter previously clearly lived in the era before Twitter, uh, which is just a cesspool of people slagging off each other uh, and feeling complete and abundant freedom to slag each other off because that's every Twitter feed seems to have a lot of that in it. Well, as Christians, we model Christ who repaid evil with good. And when provoked, which he was often, he was often done, uh, Christ was provoked, he turned the other cheek. Now, me, uh, that's one of the big tensions we all have in living at our faith. Uh, when I was working in the diocese, I had a number of senior church leaders who sat on every diocesan committee, and I mean every diocesan committee, and who basically didn't like me very much because I was attempting to do some things. Uh, so my standard tactic at every meeting would be to always bowl up to them at the beginning of the meeting and seek to engage them in a personal conversation. It drove them insane because it wasn't meant to be like that. We were meant to be people who you know, got to meetings and snarled at each other and they did whatever they were going to do to try and block whatever I was trying to do. And it was a att- deliberate attempt on my behalf to be a Christian and be personable as well as to you know, neutralise what they were trying to do. Uh, but nevertheless, it was a part of living in response to what God wants us to do 
in not repaying evil with evil. But thirdly, learn to bless as we've been blessed. Peter now quotes from Psalm 34 and reflects on what it might mean to live a good life and to see good days. Now, as I said, that is the Aussie dream, isn't it? To live a good life, to actually be well off and uh, to be living good, time, living good times. And one of the things we find incredibly difficult about the ongoing COVID situation is that it's uh, messed up our good lives, isn't it? I mean, it's a long weekend this weekend, and what are we doing? Uh, we've got a whole lot of restrictions upon us. Well, what does the psalmist say? Well, the psalmist says, to have a good life, keep your tongue from evil, keep your lips from deceitful speech, turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Uh, That's not what I would think about when I think about the good life, is it? I'm not sure if you would think that either. But what the uh, psalmist is saying is, so guard your tongue, don't speak deceitful words, turn from evil, seek peace and pursue it. And this is all about living in a simple but an incredibly different way. Being careful in what we say or don't say and not overstating things and exaggerating things for effect. Resisting evil, striving for peace because it isn't going to happen just by chance. Now, again, this might seem simple, but the reality is that it's very hard for us to consistently do each of those things. In the context of your family relationships, the context of your work relationships, In the context of your wider community involvement, I'm sure that there are some places where there are dynamics at play which make it difficult to seek for peace and to be the sort of person that is envisaged here. Well, finally, in all of this, learning to witness to the hope within us in chapter 3, verses 13 to 22. Peter now comes to the central part of his teaching. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And the answer should be no one, but surely all people will want that which is good. But the reality is that people resent those who are righteous and seem to be seeking to do good. And if you are a person who's striving to do good and to be a good person with a clear mind and purpose, that will be a threat. And it'll often lead to people either undermining you or attacking you or being resentful for ways that don't always make sense. As Peter sees it, we should expect this sort of resistance. And as he goes on to say... If we suffer for doing good, what, right, what, is, what is right then, for doing good for what is right, then we are in fact blessed. Now we shouldn't be fearful, but we should seek to, as he says, reverence Christ as Lord. That's the overriding principle. In each of our lives, whether seemingly straightforward or challenging, what does it mean for each of us to honour Christ as Lord as we seek to live out our lives? And that's a pretty good working principle, isn't it, for thinking about any situation? What does it mean to reverence or honour Christ in this situation that I find myself in as I seek to live faithfully for him? Uh, For some Christians in our world today, this will mean overt persecution and rejection as it was in the time that the apostle was writing. Uh, And for other people, uh, it will mean it's a lot less complicated than that really overt sense, but it's still going to be an aspect of our lives. It just may be a lot more subtle. For people like us, it may mean people may view us with a somewhat, some as being somewhat different and will be treated with a certain diffidence because we don't necessarily go along with the crowd in everything that's going on. So revere Christ, honour and seek to live in obedience to him, but also seek to represent him when we have the opportunity. And in the classic verse, chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but to do this with gentleness 
and with respect. This isn't about an aggressive program of getting out there and proclaiming the gospel and preaching to people. It's about responding to the questions that people do ask when they ask. Now, generally speaking, uh, it'll take, often take a long time for people to get to a point where they might actually ask you a question. But if you are in a faithful relationship with someone who isn't a believer and you're seeking to actually pray for them as well as love them, at some point they will ask you about the hope that you have and want to know why it is that you believe in this thing that in our current context is a minority pursuit. And those questions don't always come straight away, but they may not always be easy questions, but they will come. And as Peter says, we need to have a reason to actually for the hope that we have within us and to be prepared to graciously respond to people when we have opportunity. So be ready and speak from the heart of your own personal experience of what it means for you. And at the same time, it's talking about the hope that we have in Christ and pointing people to the source of that hope because it's, uh, we don't have hope just because we're hopeful, optimistic people, but we have hope because we trust God and actually are aware and bound up in his future together. Finally, in all of this, if God blesses, if God blesses us with the Holy Spirit to enable us to live at a new life in a new way, and I've always thought that God isn't cruel. He doesn't lift the bar up here and saying you lived, need to live good lives and live differently, but you've got to do it all on your own. Uh, in fact, he says you need to live good lives uh, and you need to do it in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts and to enable us to live differently, to be the source of wisdom and discernment, be the means of power and energy and strength as we face those challenging situations and seek to live differently in response to God's love in our hearts. So draw on that Holy Spirit's presence as you approach both the joyous parts of your life as well as the challenging parts of your life, and if, in fact, you seek to live good lives in response to God's love. So reverence Christ in your heart, revere him as Lord, and seek to honour him, and pray for wisdom and discernment to know what it is to live a good life uh, in response to God's love today. Amen.